Welcome to the Journey to Epiphany podcast. I'm your host, Callie Swanlin. I am here with my friend and soon to be your friend, Yana Janae Connor. Whether you're a writer or a teacher or a pastor or a preacher, like whatever it is, like be all of who you are in that space. Fill that gap in with with your voice. One, because your voice deserves to be heard because God gave you that voice. And then two, because people should be able to hear your voice. Yana is a Bible teacher, a truth teller, and a writer. She weaves together scripture and pop culture, talks about occupying white spaces as a black woman, and shares the importance of having a circle of support. Hey, Yana. Hey, Callie. <laughs> How are you, friend? Uh, it is so good to hear your voice, friend. Um, I, you know, Yana and I uh, have history with one another. Yana is someone I consider that special, um, that special place between friend and family. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so Yana, it's, um, really good to be sitting and chatting again, like we've done so many times before. And I wonder if you can give our listeners a brief intro to yourself. Yeah. So, um, my name is Yana Janae Connor and I am a writer I am a Bible teacher. Um, one of my favorite things to do is to help people to think well about faith and culture and how those two things um, intersect. And Yana, we both share um, some regional uh, overlaps. We <laughs> both have roots in the Midwest and um, spent time in North Carolina. And I wonder... Um, I wonder how your regional journey has impacted your personal journey. Wow. Um, that's a great question. So I'm originally from St. Louis, Missouri. And um, Cal, you know, St. Louis is like a tell it like it is uh, state, um, uh, very bold. Uh, and, uh, and so moving to North Carolina was really weird because they do this double talk here, you know, where they they say, they say one thing, but they really mean another thing. And you're supposed to be able to figure out what they really mean. And um, that has definitely been a challenge for me um, in the workspace, in the ministry space of just like, can you just tell me what <laughs> what you um, mean? And so moving here has just really taught me to be a better listener. Um, it's taught me to ask very specific and direct questions. And it's it's also taught me how to... Uh, do this dance of grace and truth, right? And so it's like, okay, I want to be gentle and meet you where you are because I realize that you're Southern and you don't really uh, uh, handle conflict directly, but I also like still want to be who I am, right? And um, and speak truth. And so it's been it's been a sanctifying <laughs> um, mm-hmm. journey, definitely one that. Um, Christ has used to form more of himself in me, um, compassion, uh, uh, humility, <laughs> taking that journey of uh, Philippians 2, uh, 1 through 11. Um, and so, yeah, it's been it's been a fun and frustrating uh Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I call it. I call it. Bless your heart, culture. Um, yes. There's definitely. Yes. There's definitely <laughs> that. Um, 
Oh, I had so many experiences of people in the South, and I have family from the South, so it wasn't completely new to me moving to North Carolina, but um, having people smile and say something that was a criticism, and I was just so confounded as to whether they were giving me a compliment or criticizing something I was doing, and you know, I'm I'm back up here in Philadelphia now. Um, I sort of sandwiched my time in North Carolina um, with with time in Philadelphia on either side. And Philadelphia has a bad rap for um, a lot of reasons. Uh, particularly, um, we have the example of booing Santa Claus, um, oh, and wow. people think. Yeah, people think that um, Philadelphians are harsh, but there's something to be said for knowing where you stand with someone else. And mm. um, and I love how you describe this dance of grace and truth. And you spoke about conflict. I know a lot of your work lately um, has revolved around conflict. And conflict mm. is something that a lot of people tend to avoid both both conflict itself and the topic of it. So why mm-hmm. have you been drawn into talking about conflict? Here's what I've I've learned is that it's never been helpful for me like experientially to avoid conflict. Um and that even like even when like I've entered into conflict and it like completely blew up in my face or the relationship ended, it was still the right thing to do. Um, and it's kind of like what you just said. It's like, because in those moments, you really know where you stand with people. It's like, okay, so we disagree on this, you know, and is this a disagreement that we can move, uh, you know, move forward past, or is this a disagreement where our relationship needs to end? And I think for me, there was a book that was really transformative and I, it's got some things. So if somebody picks it up, uh, you know, I just endorse like maybe 75% of it, <laughs> um, but okay. you have to figure out which, which 75% that is. Um, there's a book called, uh, changes that heal. And I went through it, um, right after I got out of college and it talked about this, you know, this true self versus your false self. And I feel like if you, when we avoid conflict, then we're, we're in relationships with people, like as our false self, right? Because we're hiding things. We're not talking about certain things. Um, We're not letting them know what grievances we have against them. Um, And instead, we're just continuously projecting this this false self so that we can kind of get along and and whatnot. And and that's very taxing (laughs) and emotionally draining. And it, it does actually more detriment to the relationship um, than anything. And so, um, for me, uh, after reading that book, one of the resolutions, like life resolutions that I've made has been that I'm going to bring my true self, uh, to the party, right? (laughs) Whatever Mm -hmm. party I find myself in, I'm going to bring my true self, um, to, to, as you know, my experiences as much as I can. And I actually remember a conversation that I had with you, Callie, um, just walking through something that was was difficult and not knowing how to articulate myself and you encouraging me, you know, to be brave, like just to to go for it. And if you follow your face <laughs> in the process, like like learn from it, but that it's important to share like what's true of us um, and to trust other people to be able to meet us 
there. And when I've experienced that, when I've experienced someone meeting me where I am and accepting me and apologizing or forgiving me, whatever, you know, it may be, it has, it has always enriched the relationship. It has always deepened the intimacy and the knowing. And so for me, it's just worth it. (laughs) You know, it's just worth it um, to, to do it. Oh, I love that. And I love that you are practicing it in real life. And um, and I have a lot of people I know who are listening in who cringe at the idea of conflict. And I teach people brave conversations a la Brene Brown. And, um, you know, that's probably a converse, part of the conversation we had long ago. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, when, when I talk about brave conversations, people get really nervous that, um, they can prepare for the conversation, but that they can't prepare for what the other person will do or how the other person Mm -hmm. will react. And I think that what you just spoke to, there are some times where a brave conversation is going to lead to a fracture in a relationship. And maybe that fracture needed to happen. Maybe that Mm -hmm. was a relationship um, that uh, couldn't withhold the boundaries that you put up against another person. And they said, Mm -hmm. oh, no, I'm used to not having boundaries and this isn't going to work for me. Um, and, And oftentimes, though, it leads to what you just said. It leads to such enriched relationship. It's it's the sort of fork in the road that means are we going to are we going to stay where we are and just be at this um superficial level or are we going to level up and go a lot deeper and be brave and vulnerable with one another. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. And I know that like for I know that there's a lot of fear around relationships ending. Um, But I'm just learning that that's okay. You know, Um, even if I have some sort of reservoir of grief, um, when it comes to me thinking of that person, like it wasn't a mutual, you know, kind of thing. And I'm still pretty sad about it, that that's, that's okay. Um, and just learning to embrace that tension and embrace that grief that I feel because I, I recognize that us splitting ways is what's actually what's best for both parties. And um, that doesn't mean that I can't root from them, root for them for from afar. It doesn't mean that I don't love them, that I don't want uh, a good, I don't want the Lord's best for them. It just means that like, I, I don't, I don't need to be in close proximity to you as I once was before and being okay with, with that um, and just kind of living with, with that grief. And even in that, I found some sweetness, you know, Um, but, but I don't think we need to fear, you know, relationships ending or changing because we're, we're all on a trajectory. Right. And, um, people will come and people will go and some people will stay, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. um, and, and I've just learned to be thankful. I've been, I've learned to be thankful for the people who, who, uh, who stay. And I've, I've learned to be thankful for the people who are just a part of my life. 
um, for, for a season. And then, you know, the Lord surprises me and then there's new people and it's like, whoa, how, where did these people come from? <laughs> you know? Um, and so, uh, I think gratitude, um, for what I have allows me to be free to, to let go of relationships when, when, it, when, when needed. Oh, wow. I, I agree with that. And it also speaks to me, um, about the idea of life as a journey. And we, I think, get fixated on life as a destination. We're, we're wanting to plan out what's next and um, wanting to know all of the answers. And, um, you know, what if, what if life is a journey and people come onto the path and, and walk a few miles with us and, um, some of them we never see again, or some of them reemerge at at various points. But mm-hmm. you know, this has been such a season of uncertainty. Yeah, and I wonder, um, I wonder how you've weathered that. I wonder what what has given you sustenance to weather that. Woo! <laughs> um, my uh, pork chop sisters, <laughs> as you would put it. Um, I um, have a group of friends who it's funny how the pandemic kind of like forged our relationship, even the more we immediately were uh, texting more, communicating more. um, And then we kind of became each other's kind of like a COVID pod. And um, those women have have like really got me through um, this, this past year, um, and not just with the pandemic, but with, um, racial injustice, uh, police brutality, um, the election, my Lord, like all of those things. Um, it was just, it was, it was great to have a safe place to cuss, (laughs) to have a safe (laughs) place to, uh, say what I needed to, to, to say. And, um, and to laugh about things, you know, that maybe it's not, you know, politically correct to, to laugh about. Um, and so they just really, really got me through. And then also like the, the word, like the Bible, um, I, it's, it was something about like this time period or what's going on right now that just like opened my eyes to the Bible in a brand new way um, where I just saw things that I never really saw before, particularly like in the book of Esther Um, and just seeing so many parallels between their world and ours and um, how, how people made decisions and how God was involved in that. And so that was really, um, helpful as well. And then also just writing, writing, having a place to kind of say what, what, what I, what I, what I needed to say or say what I thought, you know, um, people needed to hear because somebody wasn't saying it, you know, um, that was really therapeutic, um, for me. And I wasn't quite sure how people would receive it. Um, and i I never set out to write about any of these things either. So it was kind of like, a, I don't know, um, bit of a risk on my, on my part in terms of just, can I, can I write about these things in a competent and, um, uh, 
winsome way. And so, um, so I think being able to do that and then hearing from other people like, man, you put words to what I'm feeling. It's like, okay, that's, that's all I need to hear. One, because it lets me know that I'm not alone. And then it also is like, it encourages me to know that I was able to write something that made somebody else feel like they're not alone, you know? And so, um, I think those three things, friends, the Bible and writing, um, were are, are things that have really helped me navigate this this time of uncertainty and my mom you know moms are great um. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to all the moms out there yes the moms. I you know I think that the um all of those speak to not journeying alone and mm-hmm. we sometimes get it in our heads that we have to that that in order to have autonomy or show our own fierce independence, we have to go this world alone. And all of those things you spoke to, um, the word of God and Mm -hmm. your friendships, um, and then you, through your writing, reminding others that they're not alone, all of those things... um, Mm -hmm. Are, are just those reminders that we were not created to be um, solo on this earth. We were created in community with one another. And mm-hmm. God has put us into relationship with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, so you spoke of pork chop siblings. And um, <laughs> I, I, I wonder if you... Um, can explain that a little bit. Oh, I don't know if I can explain it as well as you, Callie. Um, but I do, I do remember um, from the the quiet day. Man, that was such a blessing. Thank y'all for doing that. Um, and you were talking about how a pork chop, uh, that like you, if you put one pork chop in a skillet, it, it doesn't cook as well as it would if you put two pork chops in there. Um, together because they're able to endure the heat together and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and you had us, so I did it, I did it right. (laughs) And so (laughs) then it just comes out and it tastes a lot better um, that way. And um, you had us think about our, our um, pork chop sisters. And, um, and so, and those, those women were, I immediately wrote down their name. Like those are my, those are my pork chop sisters. I call them squad. Um, <laughs> but, um, that, that analogy has stuck with me. Um, yeah. and, and I love what you talked said about friendships. Cause I like to think about friendships as gifts that God has given us for the journey from mm. here, uh, uh, to, to eternity. And so mm. like that, that they are, they are God's gifts to us so that we can endure this journey, um, um, as we live in this, this broken and beautiful world. Yes. Amen to that. You have spoken about, uh, you know, trying to, to show up and be you and you are just such a beautiful, beloved child of God. Um, mm-hmm. and you are someone who experiences a lot of intersectionality. Um, (laughs) You, I know that you have been at times the only woman in a space um, and often the only black woman in a space. Um, 
And can you talk about that a bit and how mm-hmm. um, you find strength to be you in those circumstances? Yeah. Well, one, I've had a lot of really good mentors um, who have been shepherds to me when I'm in those spaces. And so I think about uh, my brother, Mo Hafiz, and, you know, seeing me as a young woman in in leadership and just coaching me, you know, um, to be myself and uh, to not shrink back and, um, and then also having models of that in other women. Um, uh, I think of, uh, Jacqueline Bland and, uh, Lorna Johnson. Like these are just like strong black women, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. like they, you know, they, they say it with their chest. Uh, they demand respect. Um, they're competent, they're full of grace, um, and and so just seeing other women um, do it in leadership. Um, and then my last boss, uh, his name was Jonathan Yarborough. And um, that the context that I worked in with him was probably uh, the place where I experienced this intersectionality <laughs> the most. Yeah. And um, I remember us having a conversation and me just telling him, you know, about how it's hard for me to speak up sometimes because I don't want to be labeled as, you know, an angry black woman or as, you know, um, you know, me trying to be controlling or whatever. And I just remember him like saying, Yana, we need you to be you, (laughs) you know, Um, and saying, I hired you to be you, you know, and if you if you shrink back, then we're we're missing something, you know. And so just this invitation to like step into the light and to use my mind and to use my voice. Um, now, of course, I've learned how to navigate that as a woman, a black woman in spaces that are uh, predominantly white and male. Um, I, I, I sometimes, uh, lead with a question before I lead with a statement. Um, and, and I, and I realize that that just kind of like helps them to see like, oh, this is a, this is a thinking person, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. she's got thoughts, she has ideas. Um, and so I, I, I sometimes, uh, do that do that dance when it, when it feels like if I don't do it, then we're not going to get anywhere. And so, um, it's a little bit of a a code switching, (laughs) you know, um, if you will. And what gives me, what gives me the ability to do that is, um, you know, Philippians two. Um, I think, I know I mentioned it earlier, but it talks about this, this, um, the humiliation of Christ, you know? Um, and my friend Bree brilliantly was like, Hey, it's like, Jesus is code switching, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. like he's code switching in this text by, um, you know, even though he's, he's God, he becomes, um, human, right? So (laughs) he, he, um, divests himself of, 
of his glory and all the rights and privileges that come with being God so that he can become like us. And not only that, but that he would become a servant um, to that, to us. And not only that, but that he would die to himself, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, uh, and die the death um, that we deserve on a cross. And so when I, when I look at that picture of what Christ has done, like for, for me and for, you know, humanity, but then also like for the glory of God, like that he did those things. It's like, if, if the cause is worth it enough, right. If it's something that's going to bring glory to God or benefits to other people, then I'm willing to take that journey. You know, I'm willing to take that journey of humility um, to bring about that good. Now there are some cases where I'm not willing to take that journey of humility because you ain't talking about nothing. <laughs> you know, yeah, you're, yeah. you're not really trying to, we don't have shared goals. We're not trying to move in the same place. You don't have a teachable heart, you know, X, Y, and Z. Um, but like, I, I, that's one thing that helps me, um, to, to do that. Um, so mm-hmm. having mentors and then once again, like, um, using like God's word being a script for me, um, almost as to, to how to live. And I mean, Paul says it, you know, he says, have this same attitude in you that was in Christ Jesus. And that always just like, it just grips me like, ah, yeah. okay. Humility, but I don't want to, <laughs> you know, they don't deserve <laughs> it. And it's like, well, you know, y'all didn't deserve it either, <laughs> but Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, Jesus got on a cross. And so, um, yeah, letting the word go to work in my, in my own heart. Well, and it, 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 your, your story might as well be what you started with about this dance of grace and truth. That's, Mm -hmm. that's Jesus's story, um, is inviting people to the table and turning over the table, both. Yes. Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, those, those have to go hand in hand and sometimes, the situation calls for a little more grace and sometimes it calls for a little more truth. And mm. I know as a, as a preacher, there have been times where, um, you know me, I don't shy away from the hard topics and I sometimes mm-hmm. stir the pot. Um, Love that about and, you. <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, and there are some times where I just, I, I want to speak all the truth and none of the grace <laughs> uh, because I'm so, um, so angry or on fire about something and i i remember what you said am, am i am i going to get through to them are they going to just turn off right away and not give any credence mm-hmm. to what i'm saying and in that case have i said anything have i said mm-hmm. anything if they stopped listening and it is a dance it is um a difficult dance but i think sometimes a necessary dance to mm-hmm. um, to do some of that. Well, so with the writing then, you know, there have been times, um, especially this past year, especially with the murder of George Floyd, in which you have been angry and exhausted. I, 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 I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, things that you've named on your own page. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, when, when do you decide, uh, that it's time to go inward and, um, and tend to yourself? And when do you decide that it's time to speak because people are waiting for your words? I, I always go inward, you know, um, that's usually the first journey that I take, um, of processing it, um, with myself, processing it with the Lord and, and with like a few trusted, um, friends. Um, there was something about what happened to Mr. George Floyd that sort of forced me to go outward, you know, um, it was just like, how can you not say something about it? And it's usually this, this nudge, um, this ache that I can't shake. Um, Cause there've been times Callie where I've just been like, I am not writing. <laughs> I'm not doing it, <laughs> you know? Um, particularly this, this last time uh, after uh, April or not April, uh, January 6th and the riots at the Capitol, I was, I remember turning on my TV, laughing out loud and being like, I don't have time for this. And turning my TV yeah. off. And it wasn't until like a few days later where the spirit was just stirring in me um, and interacting with my anger and uh, my fear and uh, putting, you know, reminding me of, uh, the hard heartedness of Pharaoh and how, um, it was, it's very, very, very much, um, close to what we see in the, you know, hard heartedness of the people, the folks who were there, um, rioting, white nationalists, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and I was like, man, okay. Um, mm -hmm. and the Lord ministering to me in those moments and then compelling me to write. Um, yeah. and if I, I could, I would show you the text thread. I was just, I, text my pork chop, you know, sisters and like, <laughs> I'm not doing this. I don't want to do this. And all of them just sent back right explanation point, right explanation point. And so, mm. um, oftentimes I don't want to come out. Um, but mm. it's the spirit that nudges me to come out. And that's really been, been, been my MO in writing is that I, um, I, I want to live like a deployed life. Right. And so whatever the Lord puts in me uh, by way of even ideas, those then become my responsibility to steward um, mm -hmm. and to steward them in the way that he would have me to steward them. Um, and if it's writing, writing, if it's teaching, teaching and uh, here lately with, you know, uh, Ahmaud Arbery, Priyanka Taylor, George Floyd. Um, Jacob Blake, like it's, it's been the Lord stirring me to write. Um, mm. but I've, I always, I always take that inward journey because I feel like even though I want to be apathetic, even though I want to turn my TV off or stop scrolling on whatever app I'm on, um, mm -hmm. I realize that if I, me not acknowledging their death doesn't honor like the image of God in them. And, and just because I don't want to take that, that journey of grief, um, doesn't justify me. Like, like I have to take that journey of grief because it, 
it honors like the Imago day <laughs> in yes. them. And yes. when I don't, it dishonors the, the Imago day in them. And it, it, it's me participating in a sense in the narrative that their lives don't matter. And so it's, it's, I guess it's, it's my way of, of, of not feeding into that, that, that narrative or that lie. And it's like, no, I'm going to make sure your life matters by grieving you. Um, so, and I mean, that's not fun. <laughs> it gets weighty, especially when it's, it's piled up um, the way that it has been, but their lives matter. Um, Absolutely. So, so, so I will grieve them. Yes, that is uh, whew, that is our call to bear witness to mm-hmm. the life of a of a servant. Well, good, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Um, and you know, I often find that um, the Holy Spirit is a troublemaker. There are times when when I think you know you and I both have writing deadlines when, when things are expected <laughs> of us sometimes, but there are other times when something is put on my heart that I know is not of me mm-hmm. and it is the Holy spirit and I can try my best to ignore her and it mm-hmm. does not work. It just, it, 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 <laughs> it starts working its way out and it's that need that you, that you spoke of that you have to write. You are, compelled to write you mm-hmm. have been given this uh, message that that is just um it's almost going to burn a hole inside of you if you don't yeah and um and and the the faithful thing to do um like you said is to steward it and to share it even um even when it means being vulnerable on paper, which you are always vulnerable when you share. It's um, mm. incredible to mm. witness. Thank mm. you, Fran. So, you know, several years ago, you and I shared a meal over which you said, you know, I'm just not sure if I <laughs> want to be a writer. And it wasn't really an, it wasn't really up for debate because you already <laughs> had the gifts of being a writer. Um, God was already showing you uh, where part of your journey would lead. What, how did you, why did you resist it? And how did you finally come to terms with it? Um, man, so, you know, counseling is great. <laughs> and so um, all my life, Callie, like I've had a writing and reading like tutor. Like mm-hmm. from grade school, um, even in college, and I've always uh, understood myself to be a math and science kid, and mm-hmm. so um, I've just that's and I've always interpreted writing and reading as being like a weakness of of mine, and so so all that to say, I think I was just a kid who was shy about reading in public, you know, and that that got misinterpreted as like, she's not really good at comprehension and all those things. And so you have people say these things about you. And then you have a really wonderful mom who's like, my kid's not going to struggle with anything. And so she puts you (laughs) into uh, all the tutoring that, that she can, and you start to understand yourself in a particular way. And I 
started to under my, understand myself as reading and writing is a weakness for me. It's just not something that I'm good at. And so um, in college, I had to take an English class. I got a D on mm. like my first writing paper, um, something I had never experienced before <laughs> in my perfectionist life. And so um, I was on, um, praise God, I was on a scholarship and I had a mentor and he uh, connected me with like the best writing tutor on campus. And so she helped me to get through all of my stuff in uh, college. And so when I decided to go to seminary and that's all you do is read and write, I was terrified, um, but I knew that the Lord was leading me there. And so I, um, I had a panic attack. I didn't know I was having a panic attack, but I literally had a panic attack the first paper that I wrote. Mm. And then I got that grade back and like, no joke, it was like a 97, but I just was like, man, he must just be handing out 97s to everybody. Like that's just kind of what, what I thought. And it's, it's that narrative, right? That, yeah. that I am not um, a writer. And so I had a couple of professors um, encourage me, but then here come them pork chop sisters um, <laughs> again, uh, calling out what's true of me. Um, and helping me to see, uh, who I am. I often talk about how as a kid, I felt like my parents put this bar over me to reach, but with these pork chop sisters. And then also with, um, my old boss, I just talked about Jonathan Yarborough. They, they did a beautiful job of putting up a mirror to me, Mm -hmm. um, and showing me who I am and then like pulling out of me all of this stuff and then like unleashing me, (laughs) you know, um, to use my gifts. And so it was that kind of a nurturing, um, environment and people calling out what was good about me or what I did well, that really helped me to turn the corner. And then also me realizing that I struggle with this thing called self doubt. Um, and that's what I discovered in counseling. It's like, Hey, you actually have all the uh, competencies to do this, but you doubt yourself and that's your biggest hurdle. And so I remember, uh, having a writing assignment in seminary, um, and it was peer feedback and this girl like ripped my paper up. I mean, with red, with a red marker, like, how dare you? This is peer mm-hmm. review <laughs> where you get this red pen from. And I remember being like in tears and the Lord just saying to me like, hey, who told you that this would be easy? Who told you that just because you're gifted in something that you wouldn't have to work at it? And it is extremely prideful of you to think that this wouldn't be hard, you know? Mm-hmm. And so are you going to do the hard work? And, and I just, I just decided to do the hard work, you know, like, okay, I'm going to do the hard work. And so I think those experiences were very formative, um, for me and, um, realizing that just because you're good at something doesn't mean like you don't work at it. And, and so that helped me to be able to call myself a writer. 
I, I would still say I'm like a novice writer <laughs> because uh, <laughs> I know we're working on no, it. Guys. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will hold up that mirror to you, Yana, and I will say you are a gifted, accomplished writer. And oh gosh, I want you to hear that and see mm. that. Uh, and it's that, you know, um, the old thing, I'm, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. Sometimes we yes. need those, <laughs> those self-affirmations, but yeah. yes, yeah. I wonder if you can leave us with a, a good word for the journey, for those journeying alongside us. One of, one of the things that's really just been like propelling me forward um, as a writer and then just in life is um, this quote by Toni Morrison, uh, where she says that she wrote she wrote the books that she wanted to read. Inevitably, what she's saying is that there was a gap in literature and I saw myself as the solution for it. Um and I love what Alice Alice Walker says in tangent with what um, Toni Morrison says, where she says, you know, not only do I want to write the books that I want to read, but I want to be able to write the books that people should be able to read. You know, I want to write the stories that that aren't being written um, because of whatever sort of disparity. And I want to speak into that. And so I would just, I mean, I just would, I want, I want people to be who God called them to be, you know, and I want them to be all of who they are in whatever space they find themselves in. And so whether you're a writer or a teacher or a pastor or a preacher, like whatever it is, like be all of who you are um, in that space, fill that gap um, in with, with your voice. Um, One, because your voice deserves to be heard um, because God gave you that voice. And then two, because people need to be able, people should be able to hear your voice, you know, um, and be able to to glean whatever wisdom um, and nourishment and uh, humor, whatever it is, you know, um, from it, so that they, um, so that their lives are enriched. And I think for me, like I allow self doubt and fear and anxiety, like to to control me and to keep me back from doing those things. Um, but this is, this is my year of trying, you know, and not being afraid of, uh, being seen, um, trying. And, um, I would just encourage people to just not be afraid of being seen trying. Even if you don't think that you have it, have it all together, um, just, just try, see how the Lord mm-hmm. might meet you, you know, in the midst of your trying, um, and pursuing those things that he put, um, put in you. It is it is so good to see you and to be seen by you. Uh, mm-hmm. Thank you for you gave us a good word from Jesus, from mm-hmm. strong black women and from Yana Janae. So thank you for those good <laughs> words today. It was so good to be with you. It was so good to be with you as well, friend. I wish I could could hug you and snuggle. Um, I, I miss you and your family um, a lot. So thanks for uh, letting me be a part of, of this with you today. Thank you, Yana, for deep and truth-filled conversation. Y'all should definitely go check out her writings. 
at everydayyanajanae.com. That's Y-A-N-A-J-E-N-A-Y, Everyday Yana Janae. She also has a curriculum through Jude 3 called Through the Eyes of Color. You can find these links in the show notes for today's episode. A special thanks to Episcopal Church Foundation's Fellowship Partners Program, my favorite podcast engineer, Jeremy Tackett, and everyone out there seeking their spark. Follow me on social media at Callie Swanland or reach out through CallieSwanland.com to learn more about finding your spark. <laughs>